Good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today's May the 19th, 139th day of the year. 226 days remain till the year is over with. Today is um, National Pizza Party Day. International Virtual Assistant Day. Devil's Food Cake Day, National uh, NASCAR Day, National Bike to Work Day, National Endangered Species Day, National May Ray Day, National Stationary Week, National Barbecue Month, National Bike Month, National Hamburger Month, which goes with the Barbecue Month, National Get Caught Reading Month, National Photography Month. Oh, yours, Download Syndrome Awareness Month. The, um, the, oh, yeah, there's Download Syndromes, or a collection of more than 13 hereditary disorders. Uh, but, we won't go into all that. National Military Appreciation Month, Golf Month. Better Speech and Language Month, National Deck Safety Month, Bladder Cancer Awareness Month, Prader Willi Syndrome Awareness Month, Lupus Awareness Month, National Lyme Disease Awareness Month, Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month, and National Cystic Fibrosis Month. Now, all that having been said, 639, Ashina. Chihuahua and his tribesmen assaulted Emperor Taizong at the Jujing Palace. 715, Paul Gregory II's elected. 1051, Henry I of France marries the Rus Princess Anne of Kiev. 1445, John II of Castile defeats the Infantes of Aragon in the First Battle of Olmedo. 1499, Catherine of Aragon is married by proxy to Arthur, Prince of Wales. She's 13. He's 12. 1535, French explorer Jacques Cartier sets sail on his second voyage to North America with three ships, 110 men, and Chief Donacona's two sons, who Cartier had kidnapped during his first voyage. 1536, Anne Boleyn on this date, the second wife of Henry VIII of England, is beheaded for adultery, treason, and incest. 1542, the Prime Kingdom falls to the Twangu dynasty in present-day Myanmar. 1643, Thirty Years' War, French forces under the Duc de Angerienne decisively split Spanish, Spanish forces at the Battle of Rockroy, marking the symbolic end of Spain as a dominant land power. 1649, an act of Parliament declaring England a Commonwealth is passed by the Long Parliament. England will be a republic for the next 11 years. 1655, the invasion of Jamaica begins during the Anglo-Spanish War. 1743, Jean-Pierre Christine developed the centigrade temperature scale. 1749, King George II of Great Britain grants the Ohio Company a charter to land around the forks of the Ohio River. 1776, American Revolutionary War. Continental Army garrison surrenders in the Battle of the Cedars. 1780, 
New England's dark day. An unusual darkening of the day sky was observed over the New England states and parts of Canada. 1802, Napoleon Bonaparte founds the Legion of Honor. 1828, President John Quincy Adams signs the Tariff of 1828 into law, protecting wool manufacturers in the U.S. 1845, Captain Sir John Franklin and his ill-fated Arctic expedition depart from Greenhith, England. 1848, Mexican-American uh, War. Mexico ratifies a treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, ending the war and ceding California, Nevada, Utah, and parts of four of the modern-day U.S. states to the U.S. for $15 million. 1883, Buffalo Bills, first Buffalo Bills Wild West show opens in Omaha, Nebraska. 1900, Great Britain annexes Tonga, the island. 1900, Second Boer War, British troops relieve Mafeking. 1911, Parks Canada, the world's first national park service, is established as the Dominion Parks branch under the development of the interior. Excuse me, Department of the Interior. Duh, I can't read. 1917, the Norwegian football club Rosenborg PK is uh, founded. 1919, Mustafa Kemal Ataturk lands at Samson on the Anatolian Black Sea coast, initiating what was later termed the Turkish War of Independence. 1921, Congress passes the Emergency Quote Act, establishing regional quotas on immigration. 1922, Young Pioneer Organization of the Soviet Union is established. 1933, Finnish Cavalry General C.G.E. Mannerheim is appointed the Field Marshal. 1934, Zavino and the Bulgarian Army engineer a coup d'etat and install Kimon Georgiev as the new Prime Minister of Bulgaria. 1942, World War II, in the aftermath of the Battle of the Coral Sea, Task Force 16 heads to Pearl Harbor. 1943, Winston Churchill's second wartime address to Congress. 1945, Syrian demonstrators in Damascus have fired on by French troops, injuring 12, leading to the Levant Crisis. 1950, barge containing munitions destined for Pakistan explodes in the harbor of South Amboy, New Jersey, devastated the city. 1950, Egypt announces the Suez Canal has closed Israeli ships and commerce. In 1959, the North Vietnamese Army establishes Group 559. Its responsibility is to determine how to maintain supply lines to South Vietnam, the resulting routes called the Ho Chi Minh Trail. 1961, the Venera program. Venera 1 becomes the first man-made object to fly by another planet. It passed Venus. Uh, the probe had lost contact with Earth a month earlier and didn't back, send back any data. 1961 also saw a Chilcher railway station in Assam. Eleven Bengalis die when police opened fire on protesters demanding state recognition of the Bengali language and the Bengali language movement. 1962, birthday salute to President Kennedy takes place at Madison Square Garden in New York City. The highlight is Marilyn Monroe. Singing a happy birthday, Mr. President. 1963, <coughs> New York Post Sunday Magazine publishes Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from the Birmingham jail. 1971, Mars 
probe program. Hmm. Mars 2 was launched by the Soviet Union. 1986, the Firearm Owners Protection Act signed into law by President Reagan. 1991, Croatians vote for independence in a referendum. 1993, SAM Columbia Flight 501 crashes on approach to Jose Maria Cordova International Airport in Medellin, Colombia. Kills 132 people. 1996, Space Shuttle Program. Space Shuttle Endeavor is launched on Mission STS-77. 1997, the Sierra Gorda Biosphere, the most ecologically diverse region in Mexico, is established as a result of grassroots effort. 2000, Space Shuttle Program. Space Shuttle Atlantis is launched on STS-101 to resupply the International Space Station. 2007, President of Romania. Trajan Basescu survives an impeachment and referendum and returns to office from suspension. 2010, Royal Thai Armed Forces concludes its crackdown on protests by forcing the surrender of United Front for Democracy against dictatorship leaders. 2012, three gas cylinder bombs explode in front of a vocational school in the Italian city of Brindisi, kills one and injures five others. 2012, a car bomb explodes near a military complex in the Syrian city of Terezor, kills nine. 2015, a refugio oil spill deposited 142,800 U.S. gallons of crude oil onto an area in California considered one of the most biologically diverse coastlines of the West Coast. 2016, Egyptian Air Flight 804 crashes into the Mediterranean while traveling from Paris to Cairo, killed everybody on board. 2018, a wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle is held in St. George Chapel at Windsor with an estimated global audience of 1.9 billion people. And so began the war. Meghan Markle versus the monarchy. All right, we've been talking about some of the world's greatest mysteries. And today is going to be our fifth segment. Now we're going to talk about some, well, let's say, technology that was, um, shall we say, out of step with the times. Now, many centuries ago, creative people developed engineering marvels and technological innovations that, uh, Actually, it leaves us wondering today how they did it. Some ancient technology was assigned to oblivion, forever lost to history. Other advances were reinvented hundreds or even thousands of years later. For example, Hing's earthquake detector, world's first known seismometer, was invented in 132 AD by a Chinese astronomer named Zhang Hang. The device was a large bronze vase-like vessel with about six feet in diameter. Eight ornately crafted dragons were positioned on the outside of the vessel, each with a small bronze ball in its mouth. And the dragons denoted compass directions. Eight bronze toads sat around the base of the, the seismometer, mouths open, directly aligned with the dragons. 
When the instrument sensed incoming ground movement, one of the balls would drop from the dragon's mouth, and the sound of the ball falling into the mouth of the toad indicated from which direction the earthquake was approaching. Of course, it didn't go into widespread production. Then we've got the Antikythera mechanism. 1900 divers recovered a mysterious mechanical object while exploring the remains of an ancient shipwreck off the Greek island of Antikythera. It was heavily encrusted metallic device with, which dates back to the early 3rd century BC. Consisted of 30 bronze gear wheels covered with Greek inscriptions. Now, the full function of the the mechanism is yet to be determined. A lot of researchers believe the device was uh, used to uh, calculate the position of celestial bodies and predict solar and lunar eclipses. If you want to look at it, the device is kept at the National Archaeological Museum in Athens. Then we got the Lysurgis Cup, a uh, 1600-year-old Roman glass depicting a scene featuring King uh, Lysurgis of Trace. Scientists are originally baffled by the way the chalice changes color depending on the direction for which it's lit. When lit from the front, it appears to be jade green. Light it from behind, it's deep red. 1990, British researchers discovered the glass of the uh, chalice contains tiny, tiny, thin flecks of gold and silver. The effect of light on the metallic particles produces unusual color changing. Today, scientists use that same technique to create holograms made of uh, nanoparticles of silver used in uh, digital optical devices. So the question becomes, how, thousands of years ago, was this rather advanced technology developed? Well... Let's talk about what's referred to as the the main penny. A thousand-year-old Norse coin found at a prehistoric archaeological site in New England. The question becomes how it got there. It was August 18, 1957. Amateur archaeologist Guy Melgren was excavating the Goddard Archaeological Site on the central Maine coast. Now, the guarded site is a large prehistoric Native American settlement of Penobscot Bay from which thousands of artifacts have been collected. A few weeks into his dig, he found a small silver coin buried in the ground. And that coin was identified as a 12th century British penny. Maybe brought to Maine by 17th century English colonists and 1974 donated along with 30,000 other items discovered at Goddard to the Maine State Museum. Well, historians were intrigued by this uh, centuries-old uh, artifact. 1978, experts from London examined the coin, declared it was probably Norse. Kavjorn Skare of the University of Oslo declared the coin of Norse origin and estimated it had been struck between 1065 and 1080 and circulated until the 13th century. Well, at the time of the coin circulation, uh, the years the Goddard site was occupied and the period in which North Viking, Norse Vikings inhabited Greenland and possibly traveled more widely in North America all overlap. 
It's been suggested that Penny's discovery on the main coast indicates the Vikings had ventured beyond Greenland. Maybe they brought the coin to Maine. But if the Norsemen didn't visit Maine, was the coin perhaps traded with native people living around Greenland and moved further and further north on subsequent native trades? Well, the main penny is an example of an object called an out-of-place artifact, or an OOP, otherwise known as oops. These are artifacts that shouldn't exist, either because the technology needed to produce them didn't exist at the time of their presumed creation, or because they defy accepted scientific knowledge. In other words, the scientists in the ivory towers don't agree. Because, remember, there was a widely held belief Vikings didn't visit places south of Greenland. Maybe the scientists are wrong. Something that I'm sure no one has ever considered. Well, let's talk about the Dorchester pot. Seemingly contemporary object is released from from a rock hundreds of millions of years old. June seventh, nineteen fifty two. Article appearing in Scientific American described the discovery of a metal vase like object embedded in fifteen feet of solid sedimentary rock. Vase was recovered in two pieces after an explosion was used to break up uh, Pudding Stone Rock at Meeting House Hill in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Vessels four and a half inches high, six and a half inches in diameter at the base, and two and a half inches in diameter at the top. It was made of zinc, handsomely decorated with a floor pattern and inlaid with pure silver. Unfortunately, no photographs um, appeared with the, uh, the article. Of course, those that believe in ancient aliens claim that the out-of-place artifact must be as old as the rock itself, which is estimated by geologists to have formed between 570 and 593 million years ago. Were metal workers plying their trade in North America almost 600 million years ago? Mainstream observers uh, say the vase was actually a Victorian-era candlestick. This mystery has never been fully resolved, nor future research like they ever solved the enigma because the Dorchester pot and the papers relating to the studies conducted only went missing without a trace long long ago but it does raise interesting questions then we have the London hammer it was the discovery of a common 19th century tool in Texas that appears to disprove conventional history about the age of mankind. While walking along the Red River, Red Creek River, and near the town of London, Texas, in 1934, a couple spotted a curious sight. A chunk of loose rock with the head of a hammer and part of the handle encased in it. The little hammerhead is six inches long with about a one-inch diameter. Styles believed to be similar to tools manufactured in the U.S. in the late 1800s. And the rock it was found in is at uh, least 100 million years old. Speculation about the real age of the hammer and how it ended up embedded in solid rock, of course, has uh, run wild. Some creation theorists claim the 
out-of-place artifact known as the London Hammer dates from the time of the Great Flood described in the Bible. Others say this unusual find is evidence of ancient aliens or even some type of governmental conspiracy. Scientists, of course, looking down from their ivory towers, suggest uh, what they call a more credible explanation. Dissolving minerals from the ancient limestone hardened into concrete around the hammer. That is a process that can occur in a relatively short period of time. If you want to see the London Hammer, go to Glen Rose, Texas, uh, Carl Edward Ball's Creation Evidence Museum. Might come up with some interesting ideas. And then, of course, we have what's known as the Viking Horde. Swedish Island is the repository for enormous collection of silver amassed by Viking traders and explorers. It's known as Gotland, a large island in the Baltic Sea, about 50 miles off the southeast coast of Sweden. It's been inhabited since prehistoric times. From about 800 to 1150, it was home to Swedish Vikings, expert seafarers who uh, accumulated enormous wealth trading with Eastern Europe and the Arab world. Scotland is now part of Sweden and is home to numerous hordes of Viking treasure. The world's largest Viking silver treasure was actually discovered in a field at the Spilling Farm near Slight, northern Gotland. It was discovered by a film crew preparing news coverage of illegal Viking treasure hunting. Three large caches of uh, riches were eventually uncovered at the site. Ultimately, the so-called uh, Spilling's Hoard yielded... Uh, 14,300 silver coins stashed away sometime after the year 871. Ford had been hidden under the wooden floorboards of a building used as a shed. Found in two separate deposits, located only feet apart, the treasure probably been bundled in cloth, uh, wet leather, or wooden boxes, all of which had rotted away over the years. Spilling's hoards on permanent display at the Gotland Museum in the city of Visby, which is located on the island. Excavations of more than 60 Viking coastal settlements have turned up trade goods from Italy and Poland and Turkey and Russia and Iraq. In exchange for the exotic wares of these trading partners, the Vikings of Gotland offered uh, cloth and iron and furs and a number of other items. More than anything else, it was silver, mainly coins and jewelry the Vikings wanted. To date, more than 700 silver hordes have been discovered on Gotland counting for nearly 170,000 silver coins. Somebody was busy. Well, from Gotland, let's talk about the Northern Lights. Now, there's a Viking legend that explains the this unusual sky phenomenon, and it persisted despite scientific explanations from the ivory towers. Now, today we know the northern lights as the aurora borealis, a naturally occurring phenomenon in the sky resulting from interactions between solar winds and Earth's magnetic field and outer atmosphere. Energy-filled particles from the solar winds become trapped in Earth's polar region and become electrically charged. This produces the spectacular multicolored light show that's fascinated and frightened humanity for millennia. Numerous stories of the Magnificent lights have been linked to traditional Norse folklore and legend. 
According to Norse folklore, Bifrost is a colorful bridge connecting Midgard, or Earth, with Ashgard, the realm of the gods. The bridge is frequently described as covered with flames, burning a bright fire red. And throughout the ages, the glowing arch-shaped lights of the aurora were claimed to be Bifrost, uh, providing Vikings who died in combat passageway to their final resting place. Warfare is also linked to the lights in another legend, which claims they symbolize the fire edge of a sword during battle. Now, there are a number of other oral legends that are told about these strange flickering, flickering lights. One claims they were the reflection of the armor and shields of the Valkyries, the female warriors who appear in numerous Norse mythologies and sagas. In Iceland, the lights were said to relieve the pain of childbirth. In Greenland, the lights were a forbidding omen during delivery believed to be the souls of babies who died at birth. Well, historical meteorological data suggests the northern lights don't appear often during the age of the Vikings. Even the profusion of tales associated with the aurora borealis, though it played a significant and enduring role in Viking culture and folklore. And of course, modern-day stargazers appreciate the, the beauty of our solar system. You look at it and you go, what if? Well, now we're going to talk about something else that's related to the, the Vikings. The Kensington Runestone. It's said by many that it's compelling proof the Vikings explored deep into the interior of North America. Now, the story began in November 1898 when Swedish farmer Olaf Oman and his 10-year-old son Edward were clearing land near their home in the rural township of Solomon, Minnesota. Olaf pulled out a tree stump, and a stone entwined in its roots came out of the ground. The stone was two and a half feet tall and weighed about 202 pounds, and Edward noticed some unusual inscriptions on the slab, so Olaf took the stone to the nearby settlement of Kensington, where a visitor, a little, little one more time, villager claimed the markings were runes, the ancient Nordic alphabet. A copy of the markings of Central University of Minnesota, where Olaf Breda, a professor of Scandinavian languages, declared the stone was a modern forgery. Breda forwarded copies of the inscriptions to experts in Scandinavia, who also deemed the inscriptions a contemporary fake. Well, somewhat disheartened, he hadn't found a convincing piece of evidence of an early Norse presence in the U.S., Olaf Oman sold the stone to Northwest University in Illinois for $10 in 1911. So, scholars there determined that the artifact was, a, in fact, a hoax and returned the stone to Oman. Norwegian-American historian Haldemar Holland, however, believed the inscription were genuine and had the text deciphered. And according to the text, eight Goths and 22 Norwegians on exploration journey from Vinland to the west. We had camped by two skerries, rock inlets, or islets, one day's journey north from the stone. We went to fish one day, and we came home, found ten men red with blood and dead. Ave Virgo Maria, saved from evil. Have ten men by the sea to look after our ships, fourteen days travel from this island. And it's dated 1362. Now, the consensus among runic experts, those who finally agreed to come down from their ivory towers, is the Kensington Stone is a fraud. 
They contend the vocabulary and the grammar of the inscriptions include forms that didn't exist in the 14th century, but were common in the U.S. in the 19th century. And in addition, the runes that represent numbers in the inscription relate to the Arabic system, a form very few people knew in 1362. So if the stone is forgery and required a well-read and talented forger, so did Olaf Ullman try to bamboozle everybody with a well-executed fake? Was there somebody else involved with him? There was, if you can believe the 1973 deathbed confession of Walter Cran, who said his father John claimed he carved the ruins with Omen to bluff people around the country, especially educated one, to, to think you're dumb. Now, that may have as much weight as the, the man on his deathbed who said he and a friend created all the crop circles in the world. Certainly we know that wasn't true. Well, let's talk about the Hadrian's Wall, an engineering marvel that spans England. Now, stretching across northern England, Hadrian's Wall covers 73 miles of countryside, extending from Wall's End on the east coast to the salt marshes on the Solway Estuary on the west coast. It was a defensive wall, the work of ancient Roman's greatest builder, Hadrian, the 14th emperor of the Roman Empire. Now, the Roman conquest of Britain began in 43 AD. Control of southern Britain proceeded rapidly, but the north offered stiff resistance to the invaders. Armed clans, tribes, and loosely associated armies uh, pecked away at the Romans' northern advance, often inflicting significant damage on the Romans' units stationed in that area. In fact, that's the area where the, the mysterious Ninth Legion vanished. By the time Hadrian could hold back a determined enemy, leading historians to conclude the walls built primarily as a show of Rome's power and force. Construction began in 122, starting in the east and proceeding to the west. It took six years to build. In that day and time, it didn't take as long to build that as our wall on the southern border has. In its final, final form, Hadrian's Wall was nearly 10 feet wide and 16 to 20 feet high in its eastern portion, all the stone, and 20 feet wide and 11 feet high in the western, built in stone and turf. Fifteen large forts were built to stride the wall on its northern facing, a 20-foot wide, 10-foot deep ditch and mound barrier called the, the Vallum was built south of the wall, running parallel to it. Most points, the Vallum lies close to Hadrian's Wall, but in England's hilly central section, it can be as much as 2,000 feet away. Archaeologists believe the Vellum was constructed at the, as the southern boundary of the Roman military zone, which the, uh, with the wall, excuse me, marking the northernmost boundary. After Hadrian's death in 138, the new emperor, Antonius Pius, built a new wall, the Antonine Wall, about 100 miles north. Hadrian's Wall was abandoned for the time being. Plagued by economic troubles, Rome slowly lost its grip on Britain. By 410, Roman rule had generally ended. Amazingly enough, many sections of Hadrian's Walls remain standing and very well preserved, which also raises questions about the, the primitive nature of the, uh, the Roman uh, methods of building. 
Well, how about we're going to talk about one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, which has yielded priceless marble sculptures. The mar mausoleum at uh, Alicarnassus was a tomb built about uh, 350 BT BC at uh, Alicarnassus, present-day uh, Bodrum in Turkey, for King uh, Monsulus of Caria, region of western Turkey. The mausoleum, which stood 150 feet tall, was decorated with carved reliefs and life-size marble statues of lions and horses and people. By the beginning of the 15th century, not much was left of the, this colossal edifice, which had largely been destroyed by a series of earthquakes. 1494, crusaders removed most of the remaining stone to build Bodrum Castle, where they installed several of the mausoleum statues. 1846, a British ambassador obtained some of the statues for the British Museum in London. Ten years later, the museum sent archaeologist uh, Charles Thomas Newton to search for more remains of the mausoleum. But there was a slight problem. The exact location of the tomb had long since vanished from history. So after prolonged research of ancient texts and endless excavations, Newton actually succeeded in his quest. He found additional magnificent reliefs and marble figures at the site, including those of Mausolus and his wife, Artemisia, and they were also sent to the British Museum. Well... As you might guess, Turkey is currently seeking to get those uh, statues back. They are going to have them removed illegally. Well, from the mausoleum at Alicarnassus, let's talk about a sprawling villa on the outskirts of the domed Roman city. Contains stunning frescoes whose exact meaning is still a mystery. It was August 24th and 25th, 79 AD. Mount Vesuvius on the Gulf of Naples, Italy erupted. Destroyed and buried under layers of ash, molten rock, and gas, the cities of Pompeii and Herculaneum. And the remains of more than 1,500 victims were shrouded in ash and molten rock. The cities were abandoned and forgotten for more than 15 centuries. But in 1599, Pompeii was rediscovered when workers digging an underground tunnel found fresco-covered walls. Over the ensuing years, the site became a favorite haunt of archaeologists and excavations were conducted frequently throughout the 18th and 19th centuries. In 1809, archaeologists found a large, well-preserved villa just beyond one of Pompeii's main gates, known as the Villa of the Mysteries. The dwelling covered about 4,000 square feet and contained about 60 rooms. It sustained little damage in the eruption and for hundreds of years was shielded from the damaging effects of erosion and weathering by the 30 feet of ash and rock in which it was buried. It was renowned for the spectacular series of well-preserved frescoes in one of its rooms, 15 by 15 foot dining area. On a bright, cherry red background are more than two dozen life-size figures painted in the first century A.D. 
Most are clothed. Some are naked. Subject of the frescoes have been debated for more than a hundred years. Where interpretation is seen depicts the initiation of a woman into the mystery cult of Dionysus, Greek god, uh, a Greek Roman sacred religion that required initiates to undergo numerous arcane rituals. Other scholars claim the scene shows a young bride preparing for her wedding, naked, of course. For centuries, the debris in the room protected the frescoes from the elements. However, once workers began removing the tons of material from the room, the integrity of the frescoes became compromised. Years of neglect and only moderate efforts to preserve the frescoes further endangered these invaluable paintings. In 2013, a major restoration and conservation project was launched to help preserve and restore the frescoes to their former glory. They created the project and, excuse me, they completed the restoration project in 2015. Well, from Pompeii, let's go to uh, England and talk about their timber castles. Though they were long vanished, early castles made of wood proved a effective defense against the tide during the Middle Ages. The Tower of London, Dover, Leeds, Timmerworth, Arundel, you mention these English castles, it conjures up images of massive, imposing stone structures that still stand today, centuries after their construction. But the earliest castles in England were built not of stone, but of timber. Timber castles were often uh, fortified with earthwork defenses, such as mounds and ditches. popular form of uh, timber construction was the the Moton Bailey Castle, a fortified tower of wood known as a castle keep, was built on a steep-sided, flat-topped circular mound called a moat. Ditch surrounded the moat. In a closed courtyard, or bailey, included domestic buildings such as uh, the kitchen and the stables. Stone castles were often built in the, the Moton Bailey form. Timber castle on top of the moat from which defenders shot arrows down at the advancing intruders could be built quickly and was quite often prefabricated. Pieces could be taken down and reassembled someplace else. Wooden castle keeps were later replaced with stone towers, which, though are more difficult and time-consuming to build, did offer greater protection against attack. Well, let's talk about... Uh, Mysterious megalithic structures on a small Mediterranean island that rivals uh, Stonehenge. It's called the island is Menorca, and it's called the the Tallis. Now Menorca is a Spanish island located in the far western Mediterranean, easternmost of the Balearic Islands, roughly 270 square miles in area. It measures about 30 miles at its widest point. Humans are believed to have inhabited Menorca for about 4,000 years. Among the small rocky islands, most influential people was the Talaotic culture, which inhabited the region beginning about 1000 B.C. and may even have come earlier. Now, they erected numerous stone structures called Talaots, from which, of course, the culture's name comes. 
believed to be homes, defensive barriers, or maybe lookouts or signaling towers on the eastern islands of the Balearics, such as Menorca and Mallorca. Menorca is renowned, though, comes not from the abode-shaped tollouts, but from enormous stone megaliths called tollus, structures that resemble Stonehenge in England. While the tallest are T-shaped with a large, flat, horizontal slab surrounding a tall, upright stone. The word tall means table in the local Catalan language. Structures are in this description because many of the, the known 13 tallest were buried under rock and dirt, leaving under the tabletop slabs exposed. Now, researchers didn't know what the tallest were buried or who buried them. They range up to 12 feet high, each surrounded by a horseshoe-shaped wall with shorter stones. The tallest are found only on Menorca and nowhere else in the Balearics. As with their British counterpart at Stonehenge, the precise function and meaning of the tallest are unimportant or unknown. According to one theory, the tallest are either tables or temples for teleotic gods or representations of them. Figurine of a bronze bull was found in a Menorcan village of Toralba, in Sailord, home to a large Tolba. Since earlier arrivals to Menorca may have come from Crete, some scholars sitting in their ivory tower suggested a Telotic people worshipped the bull god, figures similar to the Cretan bull of the Minoan culture. Other theories suggest the tallest may have served as places for healing or as prehistoric celestial calendars. That, of course, is a theory that's trotted out every time something strange is found. To date, no single theory has proven more valid than any other. More study is necessary to reveal the secrets of the teleotic. And if we can get the scientists to come out of their ivory towers and maybe walk the ground, perhaps, who knows what we can discover. Well, let's talk about one of the ancient world's most celebrated and well-known sites, the Lost Gardens of Babylon. Now, the legendary Hanging Gardens of Babylon, an earthly paradise of lush vegetation and breathtaking pools and waterfalls, has long been considered one of the most spectacular seven wonders of the ancient world. But there's one catch. Not only is the site of the Hanging Gardens uncertain, a lot of scholars question their very existence. No physical trace, not a bit of archaeological evidence to support their existence has ever been found. No matter how thoroughly they've searched their ivory towers, they haven't found a single solitary clue. The first known written mention of the Hanging Gardens appear in the ancient writings of Berossus, Chaldean priest in the early 3rd century B.C. He describes spectacular garden and claims they were built by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar II, a rule from about 605 to 562 B.C. Further accounts of the gardens were provided centuries later by Roman historian Quintus Sertius Rufus and Greek writers uh, Clitarchus and Diodorus Siculus, Strabo, and a number of others. But no first-hand accounts of the garden can be found. Most of the ancient texts claim the Hanging Gardens are located near the royal palace in Babylon, the southern capital of Mesopotamia, a region that included present-day eastern Syria, southeastern Turkey, and most of Iraq. The gardens were set atop a man-made structure, likely a ziggurat of multi-tiered terraces, 
Exotic vegetation of all types, colors, and fragrances grew there. Rush greenery flowed down the sides of the building. Handsome statues, nor did they carve stone columns adorned the ground surrounding the botanical Eden. The ancient writers tell us an, an advanced system of irrigation. Pumps and conduits and water storage tanks carried water from the Euphrates River, enabling the garden to bloom in the arid desert. Well, according to researcher Dr. Stephanie Dooley of England's Oxford University, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon have never been found because they weren't in Babylon to begin with. She claims the gardens are built 300 miles away in Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire near the modern city of Mosul in Iraq. She also contends it was Assyrian king Sennacherib who built the gardens 100 years earlier than scholars thought. Well, she might be on the right track. Excavations in Nineveh revealed a sophisticated irrigation system and carvings at the royal palace that shows a large garden watered by an aqueduct. So, the question becomes, could the millennia-old legend of the magnificent gardens of Babylon be merely a geographic misplacement? Certainly, it would be interesting to find out. Well, let's talk about... ancient text that reveal when and if aliens actually travel to the earth. Now the literature of all classical ancient cultures abounds with descriptions of unusual aerial phenomena. Modern reader knows these phenomena are the UFOs uh, and extraterrestrial life forms. Possible evidence of UFOs and aliens dates back thousands of years to ancient cave drawings. In the Ark's caves in France have a diagram that looks exactly like a 1950s sci-fi movie spaceship. It was drawn about 12,000 years ago. Flying disc-shaped objects are found in cave drawings in Itolo, Tanzania. That dates back more than 20,000 years. Depictions of alien-like beings, some wearing space helmet-type headgear, have been found in caves in Australia and in the Sahara Desert in Algeria. Well, ancient texts describe phenomena that many people believe to be early reports of UFOs. In fact, in the Old Testament, the prophet Ezekiel tells of seeing winged human-like figures commandeering uh, strange mechanical wheels. The ancient Indian epic poem, the Ramayana, uh, relates the Puspaka car, that aerial and excellent car going everywhere it will, that car resembling a black cloud in the sky. There are those who believe this 1,700-year-old text could be describing a gleaming alien spacecraft. Well, while most historical accounts of UFOs can be ascribed to natural phenomena, according to the average tower scientist, several ancient reports have yet to be explained. In fact, these accounts were discussed in a paper written by NASA's Richard Struthers that appeared in the Classical Journal in 2007. According to what he wrote, celebrated historian Josephus boarded a sky army over Judea in, 80, in 65 AD. Throughout all parts of the country, chariots were seen in the air and armed battalions hurtling through the clouds and encompassing the cities. 74 BC, thousands of Roman soldiers witnessed a strange aerial event. All of a sudden, the sky burst asunder and a huge flame-like body was seen it to fall. In shape, it was like a wine jar, in color, like molten silver. 
That's according to the Greek biographer Plutarch. And then, of course, we have a close encounter of the third kind. Observation of an extraterrestrial being was reported by Roman historian Livy in 214 B.C. said at Hadrian, an altar was seen in the sky. Surrounded uh, Around it were forms of men dressed in shining white. Of course, ivory tower scientists uh, easily explain these away. Ignorance of our ancestors, don't you know? Well, from close encounters of the first, second, third, and fourth kind, let's talk about the murders of five London women. That remains one of the most baffling and disturbing cold case files in history. The killings attributed to Jack the Ripper. Now, the savage slaying of five women in London's impoverished Whitechapel district of the East End is the most notorious unsolved murder mystery in British history. And dozens of names have been suggested as the real identity of the man who committed the heinous murders between August 31st, November 9th, 1888. I will point out there are those that say there were far more than five committed by this uh, nameless man. The list of names include doctors, a banker, a scrap metal merchant, a painter, the Duke of Clarence, a fish porter, a sailor, author Lewis Carroll, a schoolmaster, an occultist, and Winston Churchill's father, among others. And though more than 130 years have passed since the killings, historians and criminologists continue their quest to identify the murderer. But, are they any closer to solving the crime? Three separate attempts at DNA testing conducted on different pieces of crime-related evidence pointed the finger at three different suspects, including a woman. 1988, two profilers from the FBI, which based on more recent reports, I really wouldn't believe all that much, ruled out a number of the suspects but unable to identify the, the real murderer. Well, British authorities officially closed the unsolved Jack the Ripper case in 1892. But the quest to re- reveal the true identity of the murderer still continues. And it does raise a whole lot of questions. Well... Let's talk about the headhunters of Ecuador. Westernmost reaches of the Amazon River, home to an indigenous people with a passion for downsizing. I'm talking about the Shora Indians of southeastern Ecuador, one of the only indigenous groups in the New World to drive out European invaders. But their thirst for independence wasn't the primary reason the tribe gained international notoriety. During the 19th century, a segment of the tribe, the Mariala Shar became known for the shrunken heads they created of enemies slain in combat. The process of shrinking the heads, called uh, tansas, began with decapitating the victim and removing the skin from the skull. Then the skin was boiled and dried, and heated stones or sand was placed under the skin, which was closed up with pins and strings. They believed shrinking the head of a dead enemy uh, prevented the individual's soul from seeking revenge on the on the tribe. And certainly that may well be a valid uh, idea. Well, we've got a little bit of time, so let's talk about what happened to the Neanderthals. Why did modern humans' closest extinct ancestors vanish from the land? 
You know, scientists describe Neanderthals as either a separate, distinct species of Homo neanderthalus or a subspecies of Homo sapiens or modern humans. Neanderthals and modern humans are closely related, bearing a somewhat similar appearance, though the archaic humans are shorter and thicker waisted with projected uh, brow ridges. Beginning about 400,000 years ago, Neanderthals lived across Europe and Western Asia, roughly from Spain to Siberia. But about 40,000 years ago, the Neanderthals had completely vanished, replaced by populations of Homo sapiens migrating from Africa to Europe. It's difficult to pinpoint a single cause of the Neanderthal extinction, but a gradual or dramatic change in their habitat caused by climate change was probably a major factor. Changing climates killed off significant numbers of the large Ice Age animals the Neanderthals hunted, probably resulting in widespread starvation and disease. Another possible cause of extinction might have been the competition for limited resources with Homo sapiens, whose arrival in Europe is believed to have occurred about 5,000 years before the Neanderthals disappeared. Violent uh, conflict between the two groups may have also diminished the Neanderthal numbers. A group of scientists are now engaged in a project to map the sequence of a Neanderthal genome. Samples have been taken from bone fragments found in Siberia. Maybe some of the genetic material will turn up in the genome of a Homo sapien, illustrating the Neanderthals have not vanished without a trace. Well, on that note, we've come to the end of today's show. On Monday, we will have a new topic to discuss. Until then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening and a great weekend.